Sunday changes everything. The stone has been rolled away. The women have received a message. The soldiers have retreated in fear. The disciples have run to the tomb. Sunday changes everything. Doubts are put in their place. Miracles are performed. The disciples eat breakfast made by the king. Jesus is on the loose. And because Jesus is on the loose, death is conquered. Funeral clothes are cast aside. Light shines forth from the tomb. Hope crushes fear. Faith conquers doubt. Belief moves mountains. Relationship consumes religion. God's love wins. Jesus changes everything. Because Jesus is on the loose, your tears are wiped away. Your sin is washed away. Your life will never be the same. Jesus changes everything. And because Jesus changes everything, every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus changes everything. Welcome home to those that are online, those that are in Columbus. If we haven't met, my name is Kyle, and we're excited today because the tomb is empty. Jesus is alive, and Jesus changes everything. Say that with me. Jesus changes everything everything. In fact, that's what we're going to talk about today. Jesus changes everything. You know what else changes everything? A baby. A baby changes everything. I was thinking about when my son Noah was born and I remember people telling me, hey, you know, when you become a parent, your life's going to change. And I remember thinking, yeah, it's going to change. But man, I didn't realize how much it was going to change until, uh, until we brought Noah home, the diapers, the bottles, the being up at night, even grandparents, you know what it's like when you have a grandchild, it changes everything. That's about as, as close to something I can think of, of something changing our lives. But even to a larger degree, when Jesus came and lived a sinless life and died on the cross for our sins and was resurrected from the dead, it changed everything. And we celebrate that today. Listen to the story Adam talked about earlier. It says, early on Sunday morning, as the new day was dawning, the women were on the way to the tomb to present the spices for the burial. And they were doing their thing. They were downhearted. They just witnessed Jesus dying not all that long ago. And so they're coming to visit. And suddenly on their way, something happened. It was a great earthquake. And an angel of the Lord comes down from heaven and sees that the stone had been rolled aside. And so the angel's sitting there on the stone, his face is shining like lightning, and his clothes are as white as snow. The guards are shaking with fear when they see uh, this, and they fell into a dead faint. And then the angel speaks to them and says, don't be afraid. They had never witnessed anything like this before. They were terrified, and they bowed with their faces to the ground. And then the men ask, I love this, let's read it. Why are you looking among the dead for someone who is alive? This morning, I might ask us that same question today. Why do we mope? Why are we struggling with feeling encouraged? Why do we struggle with the things that we struggle with? Because Jesus is alive. Sometimes we live like he's not alive, but he's alive. 
He says, he, why are you looking for the living among the dead? He isn't here. Let's read it. He is risen from the dead. And then he says, uh, remember what he told you back in Galilee, that the Son of Man must be betrayed into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and that he would rise again on the third day? And then they remembered that he had said this, so they rushed back from the tomb to tell his 11 disciples and everyone else what had happened. And it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and several other women who told the apostles what had happened. But the story sounded like some nonsense to the men, so they didn't believe it. Peter, however, and the other disciple, John, they started out for the tomb. They were both running, but the other disciple outran Peter. I can relate to Peter. You know what I'm saying? It's not about who gets there first. It's just about getting there. Amen? You guys are kind of uptight today now. Come on. All right. Peter, out, Peter gets outran. They get to the tomb. He's, and However, as he stoops down to look in and saw the linen wrappings lying there, John doesn't go in. But then Simon Peter comes, arrives at the tomb, and he just goes on in. And he notices the linen wrappings lying there the same way John had seen those while the cloth that covered Jesus' head was folded up and lying apart from the other wrappings. And then the disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw, in what church? He saw... And he believed. We're hoping today that someone here this morning or in Columbus or online would see and believe today. For until then, they didn't understand the scriptures that said, Jesus must rise from the dead. And then they went home. I got to thinking about that story today in light of the resurrection. And it made me ask this question today. How did Jesus' death and resurrection change everything? Um... I don't know, maybe two or three years ago, my daughter, Grace, asked me, she said, Dad, how did you and Mom meet? How did you guys get together? And so I said, well, you know, your mom, she started flirting with me really, really bad, and I just kept telling her no, and then, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so I told the story of how we got together, and, and she wanted to hear the genesis of that because that's, that's what changed everything for us and for her. This morning, in light of Jesus' death, death and resurrection, what changed? And here's the first thing that it changed. Christ's victory over sin and death made it possible to change the condition of our soul. Say that with me. The condition of our soul. You see, Jesus didn't just come to come. Jesus came because we were in sin. And as a result of that, we were in danger of not only hell on earth through misery and guilt and and just that kind of thing. But we were in danger of eternity in hell. You hear some people say, well, I don't believe in hell. Here's the reality. If there wasn't a hell, then why did Jesus come? We call him Savior for a reason, amen? He saved us from hell on earth, from misery and guilt. But he saved us even more, even more importantly for hell, from hell for eternity so that we could receive heaven. That Jesus coming to earth changed the condition of our soul. Some of you watch Judge Judy, or you watch some law and order show where you hear the guy say, we find the defendant guilty, right? In the first service, I said plaintiff, but it's the defendant. We find the defendant guilty. But imagine someone coming in the room as the judge is reading that. Hold up, wait a minute. Oh, he's here? Oh, well, then never mind. We find the defendant not guilty. Did you know today 
that despite your sin and my sin, if we invite Jesus into our heart because the crucifixion took place, because Jesus overcame the grave, you are not guilty. You are not guilty this morning. And that's a huge thing for us today. Because I don't know about you, but there's some things in my life that without Jesus, I would be guilty for. And today we celebrate the fact that those things are not pasted to our lives. Those things are not glued to our lives. We can find freedom. And Jesus changed everything when he changed the verdict from guilty to not guilty. You remember the thief on the cross. Some of us remember the thief on the cross. There's a story in scripture where Jesus is hanging on the cross and there's two thieves on either sides of him. One of them is is kind of ornery and basically doesn't want anything to do with Jesus. He says, so you're the Messiah, are you? Prove it by saving yourself and us too while you're at it. But the other criminal protested, don't you fear God? Even when you have been sentenced to die? We deserve to die for our what, church? We deserve to die for our crimes. It's not just the criminals. All of us deserve spiritual death for our crimes. But this man has done nothing wrong. And then he said, Jesus, this is where his soul is changed. He humbles himself. And he says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus replies, you're guilty, you get what you pay for. No, he says, I assure you, let's read it, today you will be with me. One of the reasons that the resurrection and the, de- and the crucifixion of Jesus are so important is because it changed forever the outcome of our soul. Some of us know people, or maybe we've experienced it, obviously all of us have experienced it at some point, that emptiness inside of ourselves. Jesus came to fill that up, not with sin, but with salvation, and we celebrate that today. Here's another one. Christ's victory over sin and death makes it possible to change the condition of our heart, our soul and our heart. In other words, A hard heart can be exchanged for a pliable heart. All of us know people that that we would say, man, I would never see them darken the doors of a church. I would never see them acknowledge Jesus Christ as Lord. You know, people were saying that same thing about the chief tax collector, Zacchaeus. I'm not going to sing you this song. You know, if you don't know the song, Zacchaeus was a wee little man and a wee little man was he. He climbed up in a sycamore. I'm almost to do it. Sycamore tree to see what he could see. And as the, I'm sorry, I've got ADD. I'm going to keep going there. (laughs) But you got to understand who Zacchaeus was. He was a chief tax collector. He was greedy. His heart was not about generosity. It was about greed. But then he encountered Christ. Amen. He encountered Christ. He had an experience with Christ. And that's all that we need. It's not just for the, for the non-believer. Some of us, we need to experience Christ more and more each day through reading his word, through prayer time, through spending time with him. And when we experience that and we spend that time with him, it changes our heart and grows our heart. Zacchaeus experienced it firsthand. He went from being greedy to having an encounter with Jesus that changed the course of his heart 
And listen to what he says. Lord, I will give half my wealth to the poor. Now, that may not mean anything if you don't understand the context. Zacchaeus doesn't say things like that. Some of you know what it's like to have God radically change your life. One year for Easter, we did a ton of different stories with people where they had these cards and it said addicted to porn and it flipped it over and it said set free. Others would say, you know, a sinner, selfish, and then the other side of it said set free. Man, Zacchaeus would have gotten in line with one of those cards as well. He would have put greedy and focused on self and now all of a sudden God gets a hold of him, his heart changed, and he's willing to give half of his wealth. Y'all know that one thing in your life that's a little bit harder to let go of than the other thing? For Zacchaeus, it would have been wealth and money and greed. And so when, when Zacchaeus says, I'll give half my wealth to the poor, I've cheated people on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. When he says that, Jesus recognizes in that moment that salvation has come to this home for this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. So in that moment, what Jesus is saying is, you've finally given up the one thing that you've always put above me and above God, your money. What's that one thing for you? Jesus died and resurrected so that you don't have to hold on to that one thing. He died and was resurrected so your soul could be changed and so that you could have a new heart. Listen to this. Jesus, when he was on, given his famous sermon on the mount, he said, For the Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost. Actually, he said that then. He said something else on the Sermon on the Mount. Sorry, I got my words confused there. For the Son of Man came to seek and save those who are what, church? Those who are lost, Jesus came to seek and save those who are lost. Here's what he says on the Sermon on the Mount. God blesses those whose hearts are what? For they will see. God blesses those whose hearts are pure, for they will see God. There's a promise there that if we are, are given our lives over to Christ, that we can experience eternal life. Well, here's another thing. This is probably one of my favorites. Salvation in the resurrection changes our, our heart. It changes our soul. And it changes our mind. You know, some of us, we've received Christ in our heart. But we haven't let God transform our minds the way that Paul talks about in Romans 12. Did you know that because of the resurrection, we can live with a resurrected perspective? Now, that's a pretty promising thing in the middle of COVID and politics this last year. Let's just be honest. This year stunk. This was a hard year to manage. This is, in fact, for some of us, it's still a little bit sore to even talk about. But the truth is, when Jesus died and rose to life, we can have a resurrected perspective and see things through the eyes of Christ. Even our failures... Even the failures of other people. Some of you have had people say all kinds of hateful things and ugly things about you. And let's just be honest, 
Some of you, whether you want to admit it or not, have maybe said some ugly things about someone else. And Jesus came to give us a resurrected perspective and to see things through his eyes. Listen to what happens to Peter. Peter failed, much like the way that we failed before and others have failed us. Peter hung out with Jesus. In fact, their, their story goes back a long way. Jesus met Peter on a fishing boat. He says, hey, come follow me along with some other people. Come follow me. And, Jesus, and Peter began to follow him. He began to witness miracles and healings and all those kinds of things. And at some point, Peter began to demonstrate that he was learning from Jesus. And then it gets crunch time. Jesus is arrested. Peter's becoming pretty good friends with Jesus. And you'd expect your friends to have your back, you know, to be loyal to you. So when they took Jesus away and the people started to look around and they saw Peter, they said, hey, aren't you with him? And him worrying that he was going to be associated and get arrested himself, he's like, I don't know the guy. In fact, he says it three different times. And that's kind of how their relationship was left. Peter could have chosen to do what Judas did because Judas also betrayed Jesus. He chose to feel sorry for himself, went out and killed himself. But Peter remembered who Jesus was and remembered the message of Jesus. And he began to kind of have a resurrected perspective about Jesus. So when John and the other disciples and Peter are in the boat together, and John notices that Jesus is on the shoreline after he had died and resurrected and he began to, to reveal himself to people. And John sees him on the beach. And he says, it's the Lord. Simon Peter's going about his business, pulling in the nets. And he says, what? It's the Lord. Rather than remembering his failure... Peter remembered his friend. Scripture says that he put on his tunic, he jumped into the water and headed the other direction. Oh, it doesn't say that. What's it say? Headed to... He ran to Jesus despite his failure. Why? Because he had a resurrected perspective about his failure. That's good right there. There's too many in here. The math... The math what just adds up. There's too many in here. Some of you have some failures that you're not very proud of. Maybe even some failures that other people like to remind you about. The tomb is empty so that you don't have to live in your failures anymore. The tomb is empty so that you can move past your failures. Amen. You can move past your failures. You can move past your failures. Say that with me. You can move past your failures. Why? Because the tomb is empty. Do you understand that? Do we, do we understand that? Because the tomb is empty, we can move past our failures. Jesus can renew our minds so that we can see ourselves the way that he sees us. Jesus changes everything. He changes our soul, our eternity, he changes our heart. He changes our mind about our failures and the failures of other people. 
and he changes the course of our life. I grew up in church. Some of you didn't. I grew up in church. I knew how to play church. I said everything I was supposed to in front of the right people. And then when I'd go to school, I'd act a different way. People thought I knew the Lord, but I didn't. I didn't know him. When I was 16 years old, God called me into ministry. I didn't want anything to do with it. About five or six years later, later after making a bunch of bad decisions because I was running from God, I found myself in college at Mid-America because I wanted to play baseball up in Kansas City. I didn't want to go. My dad wanted me to go for the Lord. I didn't know that at the time. I just went to play ball. They had this men's thing, Bible study thing going on down the hall. And I went to it, and it was during that time where the Holy Spirit started speaking to me. I don't even know what people were talking about in the room. They were talking about God, but as soon as I showed up, God started speaking to me. I had an encounter with God. That's all I can tell you. I, everybody's got a different story. Everybody, some of you guys have stories of, of worse things than that. Some of you have different stories, but that's my story. And in that moment... I heard the Lord say, when are you going to stop running from me? When are you going to stop pretending that you don't have a call on your life? And I, I, I think I said it out loud in front of everybody, and people were like, what is he? I'm like, okay. People are like, what? Like, I'm talking to God. Okay. Okay. I changed my major like 20 times because I was so miserable. And that encounter with Christ changed the course of my life. And the sins and the stupid, stupid choices that I had made in the meantime, I got forgiveness for. See, I was letting myself determine the steps, but we can let God determine the steps of our life instead of ourselves or even other people. Jesus died not just so that you could be saved from hell. He died not just so that you could have a heart change. He died just not so that your mindset could be transformed, but he died so that the course of your life would be to glorify him instead of glorifying yourself or glorifying someone else. That's the truth this morning. That's why Easter is so important, because he changed the course of our lives as we invite him into our life. Listen to what Solomon says. We can make our plans, let's read it, but the Lord determines, let me tell you, my plans was, was not to do this. Hey, Kyle, what do you want to do? It would not be this. But I don't determine my plans. You see, when we surrender our lives to Jesus, I know this is kind of a basic thing today, but it's the truth. When we surrender our lives to Jesus, he gets to decide. Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. Jesus died physically through crucifixion. But we're called to die spiritually through surrendering our lives to Christ and saying, not my will, but yours. You know, Paul did that same thing. Paul, he wrote most of the New Testament. If you knew some of his backstory, in fact, if he had a daughter that asked him a similar question that mine did, tell me about your relationship with God, how did that get started? Paul would say, well, I'm not really proud of how things started out. See, because you see me proclaiming Jesus, 
but I used to persecute Jesus. Well, what do you mean? Well, in Acts chapter 9, if you want to read about it, in Acts chapter 9, I'm still persecuting Christians, and I'm walking, doing my thing on the road to Damascus, and Jesus shows up, and he says, similar to how he did me, he says, hey, why are you persecuting me? And all of a sudden, Saul has this conversion, this relationship, this encounter with Jesus, and it changed the course of his life. He was blinded for a little bit, but then the scales were removed from his eyes, and he was able to see, and he went from persecuting Jesus to writing this in Philippians. We're in the middle of a series right now in Philippians chapter 3. And listen to what he writes. I want to know Christ. How do you go from wanting to kill Christ to wanting to know Christ? What makes that possible? The resurrection. How does that person that you would never guess would darken the doors of a church all of a sudden show up? How does that person find Christ that had been living a life of sin? The resurrection. Paul says, I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power, let's read it, that raised him from the dead. Did you know it's not just Paul? Did you know that we can experience that mighty power? That when you share Christ or when you're in the middle of being tempted, you have the same power available to you that Paul had available to him that was made possible through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ? He says, I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death so that one way or another, I will experience the resurrection from the dead. Talk about someone's life he was changed. He goes from persecuting Christ to proclaiming Christ. The death and resurrection of Jesus makes it possible for our lives to be changed and not just his and not just my story, but your story and the story of people that aren't here yet. So here's our thought today. Jesus' death and resurrection makes it possible to change, let's finish it together, change the condition of our soul, the condition of our heart, the condition of our mind, and the overall course of our life. I don't know about you, but that's a lot. Your soul, your heart, your mind, and the direction of your life can be miraculously changed because Jesus is alive. He's alive. If he's not alive in you yet, he can be in alive, in alive, be alive in you today. So here's my last question before we sing. In light of Jesus' death and resurrection, are you living changed? So here's my action step today. Live changed. Live in such a way that it shows other people that the resurrection of Christ is real. Because we have that power available to us. So I'm just going to ask everybody, I'm not going to do anything weird, but I'm just going to ask you to close your eyes and bow your heads. And I just want to ask you a simple question today as we wrap things up. I'm going to start with those who maybe don't have a walk with God, who don't know him. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ today, and you'd like to, Maybe something that was said here sparked that, or maybe God's been speaking to you and you didn't even hear anything we talked about up here. 
You just need to know that the Bible says that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and we believe in our hearts that God raised Jesus from the dead, then we can be saved. And it's as simple as ABC. A, it starts with just admitting that you're a sinner. Most of us wouldn't have a problem with doing that. So right now in this moment, if you want to ask Jesus into your heart, simply say, I admit, Lord, I'm a sinner. I've made mistakes. I've made bad choices. I admit that I have some failures I'm not proud of. But not only admit, then you have to believe. You have to believe that Jesus can forgive you for those. You have to believe that the tomb is empty. You have to believe today that the same power that raised Jesus to life wants to raise you to new life. Admit your sin. Believe in Jesus. Then you just have to simply confess that Jesus is Lord of your life. All of us have put something in first place, whether we're an atheist or we're a born-again Christian, what something or someone is first in our life. You need to know today, it's not just saying God's on the list today to be saved. To be saved, you have to put God first on the list. If that's you today, you simply confess and saying, Lord Jesus, I confess, Lord, you are the Lord of my life, the Lord of my life. With every head bowed and every eye closed, no one looking around, if you prayed that prayer, would you just slip your hand up real quick? Prayed that prayer. Lord Jesus, you see those hands. You see those hands. Father, I pray that you'd be real in their lives and in their hearts today. If that's you today, if you prayed that prayer, come see Adam and I, Adam or I after the service. We'll get you a Bible if you don't have one. And let us know your story, your testimony. Still with every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to talk to the Christians for just a minute. You've asked Jesus into your heart, but are you living changed? Is, does your heart and your mind and your mouth and your feet, does it reflect Jesus? If it doesn't, God's desire isn't for you to live with conviction and to live feeling guilty all the time. God's desire is for you to confess that and to say, Lord, I, I, I love you, but, and you've been on the list a long time, but somehow something else has gotten first. And today I'm putting you back first. You just have to simply say, Lord, I, you, I put you back on the throne of my heart. You've been in my heart, but you haven't been first place in my heart. Today I put you first place. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if that's you today and you prayed that prayer, would you just slip your hand up real quick? Lord, you see those hands today. Father, we thank you today that the tomb is empty. We thank you that, Lord, the thief's soul was made right. We thank you, Lord, that Zacchaeus went from a heart of greed to a heart of generosity. We thank you, Lord, that Peter was able to see his failure through a resurrected perspective and ran to you rather than avoid you. We thank you, Lord, that Paul went from proclaiming to persecuting, went from persecuting to proclaiming you today. Lord, thank you for each one that's here. Thank you that the tomb is empty and that we can live in victory. 
We give you praise. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen, amen. Let's stand this morning.